Cause sometimes I be right. Hello. Welcome to the show. <coughs> Apologies. This is another flu game for me. Don't have the flu, but I'm under the weather. I got something coming on. It's the uh so it comes with the territory when you got a wife and kids. See all you single people out there, you don't get sick. It's only us guys with families. Kids bring home the germs. Wives bring the germs. <laughs> I'm just playing. Not about the kids part. I'm playing about the wives bringing the germs. But the kids, whoo. As soon as they start going to school, Little League, all that other stuff, here come the germs. But I showed up today because it's important to speak to you. We got some things to get into. We got some hate. That's right. Hate is back today. What up, Cyber Family? If this is your first time joining, welcome. This is Sometimes I Be Right. I'm your host, John Farris, reporting live from Trash Can Studios. As always, joined by my co-host, Wally. Say what up, Wally. Like I said, I'm under the weather. Trying to battle through it. But I'm here for the hot takes. I'm here for the sports chatter. I'm here for you, Cyber Family. How's everybody feeling? Hope you all are feeling great. Let's start this with uh, Boston won game four against Miami to preserve their season to give themselves another chance at reaching the ultimate goal of getting to the title. It's not... Very surprising. I think most of us would have picked Boston to win game four. Didn't really think a sweep was coming, especially with the way game three went in the, in the massive blowout and the embarrassing fashion that it happened. You would expect Boston, uh, too many good players on that team, to think that they're going to roll over and just, you know, fall apart. So they came out and they won. Beat Miami. I still ultimately think Miami wins the series. I just think it's asking a lot to say beat a team four times in a row. Especially a team that is as disciplined and well put together as Miami. Which again, I think most people would say like, oh, Miami's overachieving. If you look at it from the standpoint of how many stars does a team have, sure. But if you look at it from a way a roster is constructed, their roster was put together with a, a plan in mind, there was an idea for each individual player and what they can do and what their contributions would be. And I think they're put together well, which is why I think you're seeing the success that they're having. I think it's one of those rosters where it's not just a collection of guys and, okay, well, you go do that, you do that. I think it's like, hey, what do we need? We need a shooter. We need this guy. We need that guy. We need this tough-minded guy. We need this guy coming off the bench. And it, they put together the team in that way. So again, Boston won. Kudos to them. A little pride game. Uh, but I think Miami wins the series. Now the opposite of that is what happened out west. And that's what I really want to take some time to dive into. Because in my mind, I think what happened out west is so fascinating. Because there's multiple different levels and different things that happened and that were represented by this series that I think we need to touch on. Number one, I will start by saying going into this series, the series, the, the, the favorite was the Lakers. The sports media, they all said the Lakers will win. They listed off their reasons for winning. 
And what I thought going in, I thought, and I even came here and I said last week after game one, throughout game one, doesn't even matter. I said I thought what was going to happen was the Nuggets win game two. They go to Miami. I mean, not go to Miami. They go to L.A. And the general idea is they would lose game three because the Lakers back at home, that energy, that home crowd, role players play better at home. I thought the Nuggets would win game three. I thought the Lakers would win game four in a pride game, much like what Boston did. And then they would go back to Denver and they would lose in game five. And I thought that because in game one, and I'm not sure if I said it on the sh- on the show last week or not, but what I saw in game one was a Lakers team who ran out of gas at the end of the game. And I know the conversation coming out was, oh, the Lakers stumbled upon something in game one with Rui Hachimura on on Joker, and then you'd have Anthony Davis free to roam. They found something. They discovered something. What an adjustment. And I even said, like, in-game adjustments are one thing, but I think Denver will go back, look at that, and have an answer for that, and it won't be a problem. And it never was. That that conversation never came up the rest of the series. No one talked about Rui Hachimura being on Joker and that being a matchup nightmare. Not surprised, right? The roster for the Lakers going into it, in my mind, was vastly overrated. I thought the Lakers' defense was vastly overrated. I thought the Lakers' team was incredibly overrated and overhyped going into this series. And here's why. The mistake that the national media made, and perhaps you as a sports fan made, was giving the Lakers too much credit for what they had done to get to that point. See, Memphis, on paper, Memphis, the idea of Memphis and the way they play is exciting, and we're all excited about them, and we think that they're really good. But when you really look at Memphis, what are they? They're not a very good offensive team. They're just a tough team who plays tough defense. And if they can get you frustrated and have a grind out game, there you go. They got a high flyer in John Morant, who's incredibly skilled, but also very much a loose cannon. He was having issues. That team was dysfunctional. That team was falling apart. That team was having issues. And the Lakers, a veteran, mature team, comes in there, takes advantage of that team. Wipes the floor with them. Now go on to Golden State. Golden State now, defending champions. They got Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green. Oh my God, look, team's really good. But what are they really? An older team, right? And guess what else they are? Small. And they're big men, not very, not going to contribute much offensively. It was a great matchup for the Lakers. A great matchup. Because Golden State is, if they're hitting their shots, wonderful, great. If they're not, they really don't have a a, a second option. They really don't have a B game. If their A game, which is shooting threes and lighting you up, isn't going, they got nothing to fall back on. See, the Lakers could do that run and gun, shoot threes, hit a bunch of threes, role players hitting threes, all that stuff. And if that's not working, then sure, they could back you down with Anthony Davis in the post. And guess what? Golden State had no defensive answer for Anthony Davis. They had no answer for LeBron James in the post or getting to the hole. They had no answer for that. They had no rim protection. It was a great matchup for the Lakers. 
So because of what they did there, everyone overvalued the Lakers as being this great defensive team. Let me ask you a question. In that series against the Warriors, how many times did you see guys with wide open shots that didn't fall? Quite a bit, right? Well, there you go. If Clay Thompson hits half of it, if he plays half as well as he's capable of playing, I think the Warriors win that series. Like, the Lakers didn't do anything in that series that's so impressive that you say, like, there's nothing Golden State. Golden State didn't play their A game. Had Golden State played their A game, they get rid of the Lakers. They didn't play their A game. They don't have a B game. It's all or nothing for them, which is why a lot of those games weren't really close. It's why they struggled and had to go to seven games with the Kings. They don't really have a B game. So the Lakers benefited from great matchups in rounds one and two. So going against the Nuggets, well, that's a different story. See, the Nuggets have the size to give the Lakers some some trouble. The Nuggets have an A game. They have a B game. They have depth. They have youth. They like to run. They could shoot some threes. They could also get inside. They have a playmaking big man. They have a really good guard. They have all of the things that were designed to give the Lakers trouble. See, if you fell back on the idea that the Lakers, look at what they did to Golden State. Look at what they did to Klay Thompson and Steph Curry and how they shut that down. What are they going to do against Murray? Oh, they're going to shut that down too. You got Anthony Davis who can play Joker and blah, 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 blah. All these things, you're relying on all of these things based on what you saw. And I get it. That's the last thing you saw. So you're going to judge it based on that. But Denver is not Golden State. Denver is not Memphis. So when you were talking about the Lakers and what they could do against Denver, you were using the template of Memphis and Golden State. But those are better matchups for the Lakers. See, styles make fights. It's an old saying. Styles make fights. Matchups matter. It matters. I thought the Lakers had favorable matchups against the Grizzlies, who were immature. I thought the Lakers had uh, favorable matchups with the Warriors, who are uh, hit or miss shooting-wise. They're a jump-shooting team. You live by the three, die by the three. They also play bad defense. They were also the worst road team in, in the NBA. And they were also small. And their stars are aging as well. It's a good matchup. Going into the series, the Lakers roster was not a concern. Nobody thought there was anything wrong with the Lakers roster. Nobody questioned who should play, who shouldn't. You were all excited because everyone played well in the series before. Not me. I, I thought the Nuggets would win the series, and I didn't think they'd have a hard time doing it. I really didn't. I just didn't think, I didn't believe in the Lakers. And I saw something that's very important. The reason why the Lakers lost this series, the number one reason that everyone is ignoring, no one's really, no one wants to talk about it, no one wants to have this conversation, the reason the Lakers lost this series is age. The Lakers are just too old. Now, I know, I know, I know, I know. you're saying, oh, but they got young guys, they got a bunch of young guys, young guys, young guys, average age is 28, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. The guys they depended on were the older guys. See, the way rosters get constructed, they need LeBron and Anthony Davis to lead the charge. The other guys will hang back and just get the open looks. And they're going to hit their share of open looks if you're an NBA player. 
That's the game plan. The problem is Anthony Davis, again, needed to be great. LeBron James needed to be great. And everyone wants to talk about how LeBron is 38 and look what he's doing in year 20. He's 38 in year 20. You can't ask him to be great. Every night. When the format shifted to every other day schedule, where there were no longer two days in between some games, sometimes maybe even three, when they switched it up and it was going to be every other night, that favored Denver. That's a fact. You can't argue that. That's a fact. That hurt the Lakers because LeBron James... Who everyone's talking about the foot injury, the foot injury, the ankle injury. He's got injury. Remember the injury? He came back too soon. It wasn't the injury, guys. You think this is the first time LeBron has played through an injury? You think this is the biggest injury LeBron's had in his career? You don't think there's other stuff that was ailing him through all of those finals runs? That's That was not the issue. The issue is LeBron is 38 years old now. All those minutes, all those long series, all those finals runs, all of it catching right up. Answer me a question. Did anyone else notice that in every one of these games, there was a moment probably early in the fourth quarter where it was close and the Lakers looked like they were making that run, they making that push, where they either had a lead or it was a few points separating them and they looked like, man, this game could go either way. And then what happened? I would say probably about once you hit that midway mark of the fourth quarter, you saw Denver pull away and you saw the Lakers fall apart. Why? They ran out of gas. Role players are role players. When they started needing the role players to do the work, you're not going to beat a team. You're not going to beat a better team. Denver's better than the role players of the Lakers. You needed LeBron and AD to be great. Now, you're going to sit there and say, well, Anthony Davis averaged 27 to 14 for the series. Yeah, he did. But you know when he didn't average those numbers? In the fourth quarter when they needed him. Anthony Davis needed to be great. Great. All-time great. Dominant great. Unstoppable, unguardable great. He wasn't. You can't argue that. He wasn't. You didn't watch that series and think Anthony Davis is the best player on the planet. At no point did you think that. And that's what he needed to make you think. That's the way he needed to play. Because he should have looked over and saw that his guy, LeBron, gassed. Late in those games, gassed. That's a fact. I saw it. I was watching the game with my wife. Get that game four, and I said, look, wait till about seven minutes left in the game and watch what happens. Sure enough, jump shots start. They weren't falling. Couldn't get the lift. You could watch it and see. LeBron played almost every second of that game. Why? He knew he needed to be great to win. Where was Anthony Davis? Where was AD? Unavailable. That's where he was. I ain't going to lie to y'all, man. It's... I 
feel like I, oh man, guys, there might be another B in, in Trash Can Studios. <laughs> Y'all remember what happened last time? I cut that show short. I hear some buzzing. It could be a fly. It could be a bee. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Give me a second. Give me a second. Forget it. We, forget it. We going through. I ain't letting nature stop me. Anyway. My bad, y'all. Tangent. Anyway, so you need Anthony Davis to be great. He wasn't. Um, Joker played well. Murray showed up. You had no answer for him. They ran out of gas. It's just the way it goes. It's just the way it goes. Here's what I will say. Here's what I will say before we get into the hate segment. If Miami wins, because right now Denver is the favorite to win the championship because of what they just did to the Lakers. Favorites to win the championship for what they did to the Lakers. Look at what they did, blah, 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 blah. If they go against Miami, they're going to be favored against Miami. And guess what? You are all making the same mistake. Going into the finals that you made going into the Western Conference Finals, which is looking at a team and what they just did to someone and now overhyping what they did. Look, the Nuggets, they did well, but they were still giving up too many points. The Lakers still shot well in the series. It's just late in the game, they wore down and they didn't have enough gas to finish it. That was the only difference. Don't get, don't get it twisted. If LeBron was three years younger, Lakers win that series against Denver. They benefited from a really good matchup. They matched up well with the Lakers. All the things they do well is all the things the Lakers are going to struggle with. And they were able to outlast them. Now, if Denver goes against Miami, you know what Miami has? Youth. You know what Miami has? A star player who's in his prime. You know what Miami has? A great culture, a great coaching staff. You know what Miami has? Toughness. They're running gun just there with you. They're not going to give up. They're not going to quit. They're not going to run out of gas. They're going to play their role, play their position, and do it well. That's what Miami has. So the matchup there is not does not necessarily favor Denver. It's going to be a tougher series, and I'm going to put it on record right now before we even get there. If Miami beats Boston, which I think they will. Miami gets to the finals. I'm picking Miami to beat Denver in the finals. I think it's a good matchup. If Boston makes it, I got Denver winning because Boston is a bunch of head cases. Their star player in Tatum could put up 50 or he could put up four. Like, he's just all over the place. Jalen Brown sometimes looks like the best player on the team. Sometimes he looks like a scrub who needs to get moved. They're all over the place. They give up too many points. They give up too many easy baskets. They seem like they just lose interest and fall apart and quit. I don't know. Boston, don't trust them to do anything. I don't trust them to beat Miami. But if for some reason they get hot and they beat Miami, then sure, Denver should be favored. Denver will win because, again, more consistent. Boston's too up and down. But if Miami wins, which I think they will, Miami wins the finals. Jimmy Butler hoists the trophy, and Sixers fans are... Mad and sad and depressed and all these things because you had Jimmy Butler and you let him walk. What a dumb decision. Now let's move on to some hate, though. Let's move on to some hate. Number one, I want to start with this because this immediately came up. It immediately came up after the game. I knew it would, and that's why I said before the playoffs even started, are we counting these things towards the GOAT conversation or are we not? Because I knew regardless of what happened, the GOAT conversation is coming back up. Here's what I would say. 
The question of if this sweep affects LeBron's legacy or affects his case as being the GOAT, I would say the fact that you're asking that question lets you know there is no debate. He is not the GOAT. Not because of this, not because of this, but in year 17, if you didn't think LeBron James was the greatest of all, if there's anything he needs to do to solidify his spot, the conversation's over because he's playing in year 20, entering year 21. Michael Jordan didn't play 21 years. You're using someone's longevity to compete against someone else's career. If you played more years, you accumulated more stats. Is LeBron a better scorer than Jordan? No. Why? Because LeBron's all-time leading scorer? No. It's because LeBron has one scoring title. Michael Jordan has 10. If Michael Jordan played for seven more years, I'm pretty sure he gets the, he's the all-time leading scorer. And if he plays seven more years, averaging 20 points a game, as he did in those last two years with Washington, I already did the math for you. Go back and check it. LeBron James, at where he's at right now, wouldn't be at the number Jordan's at. Jordan would still, right now in this moment, be the number one leading scorer all time in NBA history. LeBron James has played longer, has accumulated more stats, will accumulate more wins, still hasn't reached the title count, still hasn't done the individual stat or uh, awards that Michael Jordan has. The debate is over. There is no debate. He's still trying to build a case, bro. You already passed the point. Once you get past 15 years, everything we're talking about at that point is accumulation. So even asking the question of this is does this affect his, his argument for the GOAT? Conversation over. The argument's over. The GOAT is the GOAT. The next bit of hate I want to get off my chest is I hate the fact that LeBron James is so intent on changing the conversation the moment he fails was this a failure for LeBron James yes it was why because any player would look at this as a failure if Julius Randle failed and his I shouldn't say that because Julius Randle didn't show up my bad that's too much hate (laughs) let me dial the hate back it is a failure by LeBron because he failed to reach his goal the goal he set the goal that was set by him by the team by by fans whatever they didn't reach it they failed okay But for him to come afterwards and even allude to the idea of retirement, the whole everything has been spent and centered around the fact that he's considering retirement more so than, hey, what was his performance like this playoffs? In these playoffs, he looked old. At times, he looked washed. He looked old. He looked washed. He looked like, hey, man, it's over now. And they'll say, oh, well, you know, if you if you look before the foot injury back in December, yeah, that was earlier in the season. Do you really think LeBron James can start a season and end the season and not be gassed? I don't think it's happening, y'all. It's, oh, it's over. I'm going to come right now. It's over. And that's fine. Yo, he's turning 39 in December. He's not, he's no longer that guy. He is no longer the guy that could play 40 plus minutes a night and give you good production. He's no longer the guy that could drive to the hole unabated. He's no longer, he's not that. It's over for that. And that's fine. That's the way it should be. That's what happens when you age. The problem is the Lakers, Anthony Davis, he's not, he's not the guy to help. And I would say. Why did LeBron wait till game four facing elimination to play the way he played? Why wasn't he playing like that from game one? Maybe they would still be playing right now. 
That's hate. I know. I own it. My last bit of hate is LeBron James driving to the basket to try to tie the game at the end of game four was the dumbest decision I've ever seen. And the fact that no one thought that that was a stupid decision blows my mind. Here's why it was a dumb decision. I'll tell you exactly why it was a dumb decision. Because LeBron was gassed. How do I know he was gassed? Because he let Jamal Murray almost take the ball out of his hands going up for a layup. He got no lift. Like he got, the ball was taken from him. You think three years ago, Jamal Murray's taking the ball from LeBron? Stop it. He was gassed. So if you do make that shot, you go to overtime. Do you, does anyone think the Lakers have enough in the tank to get through overtime? You got, you, no. Go for the win. Now I'm not saying LeBron should have shot it. I got, Darvin Ham was in a bad spot. Because your season's on the line. You're either going to continue your playoffs or you're going to go home. you got to put it in your best player's hands. LeBron has to have the ball in that moment. I get it. But my question is, why didn't they run something where they could have had someone like Austin Reeves to shoot a three? Or someone shooting a three? Because even if he makes it and you go into overtime, like, your guys are beat. It's old. Like, you got no end. You can't do five more minutes. Because at that point, even if you did five more, even if LeBron makes that shot, they go into overtime. They win overtime. The Lakers aren't going to have any gas in the tank going into game five. So you're going to go back on the road a day later in Denver and get wiped away. So going into overtime doesn't help you at all. Your best bet would be take the three. If we miss it, we go home. If we make it, we go home. And then we rest up and we come back in two days and we try to do it again. But the Lakers were gassed. I just think it was a I think it was a bad idea. I think the coach should have drew up something. Maybe LeBron take the three. Maybe Austin Reeves get a three. Somebody get a three look. I think trying to go for the tie didn't help them at all. And it would have worked out poorly for them had he made it. But he had nothing in the tank and Jamal Murray took the ball from him. Let's move over now. Because obviously the Lakers lost. So the new conversation now was what are they going to do with their roster? What are they going to do? What are the Lakers going to do? How can they improve? Who do they bring back? What do they do? Blah, blah, blah. If it's me, if it's me, I'm tra- if I'm the Lakers, I'm, I'm having a conversation. I'm having a real conversation saying it like this. Is LeBron good enough to carry the team? No. At this point in his career, he's no longer good enough to carry a team. And if, he, if we need him to carry us through the regular season, it's not going to work out for us. He's going to run out of gas. That's not a good idea. It's time to move LeBron. If I'm the Lakers, I'm having a serious conversation. Is Anthony Davis good enough to carry the team? Hell no. Is Anthony Davis good enough to be a reliable second option? Absolutely not. I'm moving Anthony Davis. I'm trading LeBron and Anthony Davis this offseason and getting whatever I want in return. I'm either getting players that I feel like how are we gonna build who we're gonna build around. And if you're not gonna build around one specific player because you feel like you don't have him yet, then build around an idea, a defensive-minded team that can hit open threes. Fine. Then you build your roster to at least be defensively competitive. You have a defensive-minded coach. Get guys in there who can play defense and start with that and then build from there. Start over. 
get rid of get rid of LeBron James, Anthony Davis. They're making too much money. They're eating up too much cap. Get rid of them. Get cheaper. Get younger. And start over. You are still LA. If you build a good supporting roster and you just need a star to come in, build that and then stars will come to the Lakers if they know they have a chance to win a title. But as it stands right now, LeBron does not help you unless you build a super team around him and you don't have the route to do so. You got no money. Austin Reeves, the offer him what you want, but if somebody comes and, and, and wants to pay him big money, I'm not paying Austin Reeves big money. Why? Because with big money comes big responsibility. Austin Reeves was thriving in his role, which is you're the third and fourth guy. If somebody comes pays him big money to make him the number one or number two, he's not going to live up to that. I'm sorry to break it to you. He's not. It's no knock on him, but you were undrafted for a reason. All these guys on Miami that are undrafted, that are playing well right now, would you sit there and say that any one of those guys could be the number one on a team? You would say no. They play better in that role. That's what they're good for. That's what that's what it is. If Austin Reeves was a no-doubt star player, leader of a team, he would have gotten drafted. Now, I know guys slip through the radar all the time. They slip through the cracks. It happens all the time. I get it. But, man, I tell you. I'm not giving him big money and expecting him to do much. I'm just not going to do it. So I'm trading LeBron. I'm trading Anthony Davis. Um, I'm letting Austin Reeves walk if if he's getting a bigger contract than I'm willing to give him. So now they got all all these, well, Lakers can make moves, Lakers can make moves. And, And the thing that blows my mind, this happens every year. There's a guy that gets crucified, that gets lit up, that gets tormented about how he don't show up, he don't do good. Let's use DeAndre Ayton as the example. DeAndre Ayton for the Phoenix Suns is constantly criticized for his lack. He didn't show up. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. He's aloof. He's whatever. But guess what happens every offseason? Some analyst comes out and says that some team should trade for him because he answers all of their problems. If he's not good for Phoenix, why do you think he's going to be good for somewhere else? Now, I understand fit. I understand there's some guys who play really well, and if you put them in the right system with the right guys, man, they could flourish. But DeAndre Ayton's problems are not that he can't fit the system. His problems are effort. His problems are hustle. His problems are maturity. That's not going to change when you bring him in to be the centerpiece of your franchise. He's got everything on the table for him in Phoenix. That team is set up to win a championship. That team was set up to beat Denver. If he shows up and plays his arse off, plays his heart out, gives everything he has, they can win that series. What does he do? He's a no-show. So why would anybody want him? I'll give you a better one. Julius Randle. Julius Randle is a good player. I love Julius Randle. I want him to stay with the Knicks. I understand if you have to move him. I'm not going to cry about it. I'm not going to be mad about it. I wish they didn't have to, but I kind of understand you might have to move him. I'm not looking at another team saying I'm going to bring in Julius Randle because he's X, Y, and Z because you see what he is with the Knicks. That's what you're going to get too. Hey, that's what you're getting. But why does anyone think that he's going to go somewhere like a Golden State and solve their problems? Like, it's not going to happen. He's going to be the same guy in Golden State. Now they're going to have the problem, and then they're going to be saying, let's move him. Trey Young, 
rumors are that the Lakers have had conversations about acquiring Trey Young. That's somebody they might target this offseason in a trade. Why? Trey Young is what he is. He's just going to be him on the Lakers now. You are still leaning on him now because you can't lean on LeBron. LeBron is no longer the guy, no longer curries the favor of I'll bow down to LeBron and play my role. Trey Young is going to come in there immediately be the go-to guy. Or you're going to ask him to play a lesser role, which he's not used to doing, and now you have problems. Why do you think this guy's going to solve your problems? Kyrie Irving is another guy that they're going to consider bringing in, but what do you think Kyrie's going to do different in LA than he did in his last few stops? Why do we always do this? Anthony Davis, if you think, oh, Anthony Davis doesn't show up, the Lakers need to move him because you can't count on him to be a star. But then you're going to look and say the Dallas Mavericks should trade for Anthony Davis because he answers all their problems. No, he doesn't. If he's at his best, he would. But if he was at his best, the Lakers wouldn't be trying to move him. If DeAndre Ayton was at his best and could be that guy, they wouldn't be trying to move him. The fact that a team is trying to move him, me as another team, why do I want your trash? If you love him so much, if he's so good, if he would be so good for my team, why am I getting him? Why are you letting him go? James Harden. Oh, man, James Harden couldn't get it done in the playoffs. Can't get it done with Sixers. Now he's going to go to Houston and all of a sudden get it done? No, he's going to be the same guy. Stop lying to yourself. Stop pretending that these guys are going to switch teams and all of a sudden switch character. If the issues are characters or intangibles, you can't get that by going to another city. If it's a basketball fit, like, hey, these two guys play the same. They don't really fit that well. We got to move one of them. Sure, he's going to go and he's going to flourish. But if the problem is that he doesn't put in enough effort, he's not going to go somewhere else and all of a sudden start putting in enough effort. Like, that's something you have or you don't. DeAndre Ayton is not going to another team and all of a sudden going to turn into the guy. And is all of a sudden going to start living up to all the promises you said just because he's on another team. Another coach ain't going to get more out of him. Why? Because that's internal. Your effort is internal. How much effort you give is based on you. It's not based on the coaching. And if you sit there and say, well, if you run plays for me, then I'll play harder. Like, no, then you just don't have it, bro. I don't want you on my team. If you're DeAndre Ayton, bro, you ain't got no handle. You can't create your own shot. You're a retro big man. Your job is to play hard. That is your job. And if you choose not to play hard for whatever reason, that's internal. That has nothing to do with the coaching. That's nothing to do with coaching. And so for that reason, I would say you guys that keep doing this, I don't understand it. I really don't. I'm incredibly confused by it. I'm not buying into that nonsense. Let's get off basketball. So I just saw this report this morning as I was swiping through my phone, going through my notes, getting together the show notes. That uh, D'Amico Rines, the head coach for the Houston Texans, came out and said that they are not just gifting C.J. Stroud the job. They're not just going to give it to him. They're going to make him earn it. To be honest with you, I only want to talk about this because of C.J. Stroud. (laughs) And I know there's a lot of folks who think that C.J. Stroud is going to be no good. And I happen to be on the side of C.J. Stroud is going to be incredibly good. So that's where I'm at. 
So I'm, I I like to talk about it now. So anytime some news for him comes up, I'm probably going to talk about it. I'm going to be annoying about it, just so you know. Because whether I'm right or wrong, my 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 career depends on this. My career lives on this. My ability to acknowledge that I'm wrong or acknowledge that I'm right, that's what I'm all about. So I want to make sure I'm ahead of this one and, and I'm on it. If I'm wrong, I want to be the first one to say I'm wrong. If I'm right, I want to be the first one to say I'm right. But the idea, but this 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 headline got me thinking about the idea of gifting someone a job. Let's be honest. Uh, who do the Texans have at quarterback? Like, look, I like Davis Mills. I do. I like Davis Mills coming out of uh, college. Uh, in all my mock drafts that year, that was a guy that I, uh, as a Cowboys fan, would try to pick up when I was doing a mock draft. He was a guy that I was shooting for in like round four. He was a guy that I I focus was like round four I'm picking him up because I think he could be really good but that's what he is he is a backup um he's a guy who can come in and start a couple games but if you're depending on him to be the franchise he's probably not there are they gonna give it to him over CJ Stroud like are you not just gonna throw him out there like what's the benefit like if you feel like oh but you can ruin a player that way only if they're mentally weak only if they're mentally weak. No no player who is mentally strong, who is super confident, has come in, failed early, and never been able to get back to being good. It's never happened. Those are the guys who are mentally weak. Those are the guys who don't have real confidence, who don't have internal confidence. The guys who are confident, bro, it don't matter. It don't matter. I could struggle five games. It don't matter. Look at, for, look at Baker Mayfield. You think Baker Mayfield still doesn't believe he's the best in the league? He does. Baker Mayfield has failed so many times and yet has not lost a speck of confidence because his confidence is not based on the results. His confidence ain't based on the numbers he put up. His confidence is based on he believes that about himself. That's internal confidence. That's real confidence. C.J. Stroud is not confident because of what he did at Ohio State. He went to Ohio State because he was confident. He stayed at Ohio State because he was confident. Because when Quinn Ewers came in, C.J. Stroud could have transferred. Right? C.J. Stroud was now like, hey, you're going to be the starter this year. Here comes the number one quarterback prospect of like the last 15 years. Here he comes to Ohio State. A lot of people said that he should play. He should start. C.J. Stroud could have transferred and said, you know what? I'm not dealing with this quarterback company. I'm out. You know what he did? He was confident in himself and he went out and he won that job. And by the end of it, he was a Heisman finalist. So the idea that see if, if you're trying to protect him from losing, he's not he's never gonna lose that confidence because that's a belief he has in himself. That's one of the great intangibles he has. That's one of the reasons why I believe so so strongly that he's gonna be great in the NFL. See, these are things that most people don't want to talk about when they're evaluating a player or a quarterback because they don't want to talk about those little indications of your confidence level. See, a few months ago when I brought up, when everyone was like, ah, oh, you bringing up high school stat? You bringing up high school numbers? No, no, no. What I was bringing up was the fact that there's something inside this kid that it's not results-based, that it's not, hey, I played well today, I'm good. It's like, no, his belief is unwavering. It's internal. It's in him. He's not going to lose confidence because of a bad game. He's not going to lose confidence because of a bad year. 
He's not going to lose confidence that he threw that interception. He's going to come back and be just as confident. Competitive spirit. So, no, they're not going to give him the job. But guess what? C.J. Stroud prefers it that way. He doesn't want you to give him anything. Don't draft me number one. See what happens. I bet you a part of him kind of wishes that they would have took Will Anderson with the second pick and then traded back for him at three. Just so he could have the little extra chip. And in his brain, he probably thinks, I know you guys wanted him first. That's how he is. That's internal. So go ahead. Don't give him the job. He don't care. He's going to take it. Moving on to boxing. Uh, Vasily Lomachenko and Devin Haney fought for the undisputed title uh, in lightweight. I think it's lightweight, right? I got that right. And Devin Haney won uh, by unanimous decision. And the entire boxing community, the entire boxing world, fans, uh, announcers, everybody thought they got it wrong. Felt like they got it wrong. That Lomachenko actually won. I just wanted to quickly talk about this. I just want to put in my two cents and just say that I watched the fight. I didn't score the fight live. It was one of those fights where like I really didn't care who won. I really wasn't invested in who the winner was. I just wanted to see a good fight. And that's what we got. We got a good fight. That fight was really good, very entertaining, very competitive, start to finish, action every round. There was no round where you felt like nothing happened, but it was very close. Very close. And my rule, when I judge a fight or a round, if I'm going to score it, my rule is if it's a round when neither guy did anything really impactful, like there were no big shots landed, there was no flurries, no nothing like that. It was kind of like a really close, boring, just jabbing each other out round. I'm always going to favor the fighter who was pressing the action. If if there's one guy moving backwards, if there's one guy dancing around and there's one guy coming forward and it's a really close round and nothing of consequence happened, I'm going to favor the guy who was coming forward pressing the action. That's just how I score it. Might be wrong, might be crazy. I don't know what y'all think. That's how I do it. So based on that, I thought the entire fight Lomachenko was coming forward. He He was being the aggressor. And by that metric, I would say, all right, if it's a close fight, I'm I'm probably giving more of these rounds to Lomachenko. And it's going to be like a one round here or there type fight. Can y'all hear that barking? Probably, right? You could probably hear it. I don't know. It's the neighbor's dogs. You know, trash can studios. We got the elements. <laughs> anyway, so I, I, my overall point is I don't think it was a robbery. I don't even necessarily know if I believe that it was a bad decision, but I do believe uh, that it was a close fight and it could have gone either way. And I'm going to side with the boxing community. If everyone believes one thing to be true, if I don't have you know no skin in the game, I don't have no preference. I didn't re- I didn't score the fight real time, so I can't really sit here and tell you. I haven't gone back and rewatched it. I thought about it. I thought about going back and rewatching it, but I just thought like at this point, nobody really cares that much. Right. But I just wanted to come in and talk about the idea of fights being kind of fixed, because the rumor is, is that um, Bob Arum of top rank signed Devin Haney two days before. 
re-signed him to a new uh, promotional contract. Then you have Shakur Stevenson, who's also under top rank. And, like, that's the mega fight that's trying to be set up. And so the idea of Lomachenko wins, then we kind of blow that. And we don't really have that. And Lomachenko's older, so maybe having the younger guy, we can kind of drag this out for a few more years before we get them together and really build this mega fight. Again, it is what's wrong with boxing in general, is you keep trying to build these mega fights. The mega fight is not based on someone's resume. It's based on the fighter versus the fighter. We don't care how many wins or losses some guy has. It's a mega fight. When Manny Pacquiao fought Floyd Mayweather, he didn't. He wasn't undefeated. Manny Pacquiao had lost plenty of times. We just Manny Pacquiao was coming off of what, like two straight knockouts? Like we didn't care. It was because it was Manny Pacquiao. And we know how good he is going against Floyd Mayweather. We know how good he is. So when you get these two great fighters in the ring, so we right now, Devin Haney versus Shakur Stevenson would be a really big fight. If you wait four years from now, it's not going to be a bigger fight because they've each fought more. It just got announced uh, yesterday that um, Terrence Crawford is fighting um, Errol Spence. July 29th, they set it up. This is, to me, in my opinion, two years too late, but it's still going to be a big fight because these are two really good fighters and we want to see it. That anticipation or that waiting for these extra year or so is not going to make it a bigger or more highly anticipated fight. The fight is the fight. We want the fight. We want Tank Davis versus Shakur Stevenson. We want Ryan Garcia versus Roley Romero. We want these fights. Stop trying to build it and just give it. Because what you're going to do is, like I said before, with the UFC, UFC just gives you the fights. They don't build it. What they're doing is they're giving you the fight so you come every week to watch the fights. And then what happens is when they have a card where they don't have like a massive like clash on it, you don't care because you know the brand and the product is great matchup. So we're going to get a great fight whether we know these two guys or not. We're going to get a great fight. And what you're going to have is boxing has all of these different like top rank has their boxing on ESPN or whatever on Fridays or this person might have a random fight on a Saturday or this person has a pay-per-view. And it's like that's fine. But we're not going to go, we're not going to go watch the fight if we don't know the guys are big stars or if it's not a pay-per-view, if you didn't hype it up like that, because guess what? We don't, you, you, we're used to you building. If you just give us the fights we want as we want them, we'll start trusting your product and we'll come back week after week after week after week. And you can have boxing events every single Saturday that draws a bunch of viewers. And if you want to sign with someone like an ESPN so you can get that money off of the commercial and the advertising dollars, then go ahead. We will show up if we can start to trust your product. The problem is, is you trying to build up these fights causes us to lose a lack of trust in the product you're going to deliver us. We think what you're going to deliver us is a mediocre product unless it's on pay-per-view. And then when it's on pay-per-view, we only care about the main event. And then you flood us with these stupid undercard fights that nobody really cares too much about. It's a problem. And then when we do care about a fight and we watch this big fight, we have to hear everyone say, oh, they got it wrong. They screwed the fighters. They did this. They did this. What a bad decision because you got judges who are well-known at this point that we know, like, when you see those names, like, oh, here we go. Something's going to be funky. And even if it's not, we think it will be, and that taints it. Come on, boxing. Do better. I'm a fan of boxing. I'm always going to be a fan of boxing. But I'm also a fan of baseball. I'm always going to be a fan of baseball. And I know that every all the knocks people have on boxing and baseball, I can't disagree with you. I agree with you. 
I just stick along even though I just go through it, but I, I'm still going to show up, but it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. That's my time, y'all. Look, I appreciate y'all coming through. Um, I'm sorry if you heard any coughing, sneezing, sniffling, or whatever the case might be. I've been trying to drink this iced tea to keep my throat uh, moisturized as I've been drying out with this sore throat I got going on. But I appreciate y'all coming through for Flu Game Part 2. We're going to be back next week. Hopefully, we will have the finals set up. Um, I haven't even looked at the schedule. Will they be starting the finals by then? Or will they have already played the game? I don't know. But we'll talk about it. We'll break it all down. Hopefully, we have some more news um, in the football world. As I know, you know, going into June, you got your mini camps and stuff like that. Maybe some things going on. Maybe we'll start getting some NBA rumors about trades and things like that now that we get into the offseason. We'll figure it out. We'll have a lot to talk about. Look, follow me on all social media platforms at cyber underscore pod. That's S-I-B-R underscore P-O-D. On all social media platforms, come check me out on my YouTube channel at Cyber Network. That's S-I-B-R Network. Search me up on there, get some exclusive content, join the family, subscribe, like, all that stuff. Wherever you get your uh, podcast, if you could do me a favor, go on there, leave some comments, leave some five-star ratings, boost this up so we can start spreading this around the world. Because again, the ultimate goal is to make the Cyber Family the most powerful, most recognizable, and most dominant base of fans in the world. I'll see you next week.